with them because we want to honor all of our graduates. Amen? Well, are you ready to kick off the new series? Come on. See, I thrive on, on enthusiasm, even fake enthusiasm. So, are you ready to kick off this new series? Man, I feel it. I feel it. Oh, man, it's just electric. Um, uh, we're going to start off with a message called The Now and The Not Yet. We'll get, we'll get to the title in a little bit later. But I want to open up with one statement that will set the course for the rest of this message. Everybody in this room, everybody, period, has an agenda. Everybody. Now, I mean, from a toddler to, to a retiree, everybody has an agenda. Here's the way the agenda gets defined. A list or outline of things to be done. An underlying, often ideological plan or program. Another verse says a list, a plan, an outline of things to be done matters to be acted upon. We've all got our own agendas, things that either on paper or in our head, we think this is the way life is going to be played out. Come on. Well, this is the way I want life to go. Whether it's marriage, one of my favorite things is in premarital counseling. Now, if you're under, I tell people that our, my Sunday morning services, whenever I'm in here, are PG-13. So, but one of my favorite things when we're pre counseling premarital couples or getting married, and I say, what is your expectations for a marriage? And the guy, man, we're going to have sex every night. I just, I just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. As every married man that's been married for a while will do too. Like, <laughs> well, that's a good one. Now, seriously, what are your expectations with marriage? But we all have an agenda uh, about marriage, our relationships, dating, uh, uh, friendships, school, our kids, our careers. We even have an agenda when it comes to church, how we think church should go. Believe me, me and Denise and other pastors in here have heard that our church's agenda does not match up with what they think church should look like. And we say, well, good. There's plenty of other churches out there um, because we know what God has called us to and who God has called us to be. But there are agendas. And, and here's the thing. Nothing is wrong, per se, with having an agenda, uh, a list of things. My wife is agenda-driven. Like if we, she wants to know, this is when we're doing it. This is what we're doing it. Me, I'm a, hey, let's show up and see how it pans out. Anybody like that? No? A few of you? Maybe that's why we're just so jacked up in here then. Because your pastor is a guy, guys, just, hey, let's show up and see what happens. Uh, <laughs> see, that, that, honestly, that's me. Hey, let's plan. Let's don't plan. Let's just relax and see what the day brings us. Let's see what happens. Uh, you know, and I do plan a few things, so don't get me wrong. But we all had this. Let's, let's go back about 18 months ago. Let's go back to when the clock struck 1201, New Year's, and 2020 was ushered in. How many had an agenda for what you thought 2020 was going to look like? It was going to be awesome. It was going to be churches. Had, we had already come up 2020 vision. How many wish you had farsighted vision in 2020? You weren't seeing things up close. It's like, hey, back up a little bit. I can see you better over there. 
Yeah, of course, 2020, man. We, we had our agenda, what we thought it was going to look like, and then 2020 hit. Here are some of the things that happened, just a few, in 2020. One of the worst things. I have to help my composer here. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle left the royal family. It just devastated me. I, I shared another day. I said, do you think people in Britain are as fascinated with their presidents and stuff like that as we are with their... Because I just don't think so. I, I think they're all like, well, who cares? Uh, but we saw in 2020, we saw the beginning of the COVID pandemic. We saw brush fires in Australia that burned over 47 million acres. Uh, 34 people lost their lives. Thousands were left homeless. We saw protests and rioting uh, come up on the rise. We saw uh, murder hornets. I feel bad for murder hornets. Because if COVID had not come on the scene, murder hornets would be on the top page news. I mean, we would have been here. Instead of masks, we would all be wearing little bee costumes. Just trying to stay away from them. Well, not costumes. You know what I mean. My wife's imagined me in a bee costume. <laughs> buzz, buzz, baby. Um, we saw... <laughs> hey, I'll laugh at my own jokes. I don't need anybody. Um, we saw uh, sports fans and just fans a lot. We saw the death of Kobe Bryant. Uh, in my vein, man, we saw the death of Eddie Van Halen, one of the greatest uh, rock guitarists uh, to ever live. Uh, we saw opioid use uh, dramatically increase, and along with that, so did overdose. In fact, let me give you some. Uh, this is from the CDC, their most recent data, data on uh, opioid and drug abuse. From September 2019 to August 2020, there were 88,290 deaths by overdose. That's sad. That's 19,000 more than the previous 12 months. Overdose deaths spiked to record levels in March of 2020 after the pandemic hit. Monthly overdose deaths grew by 50% between February to August of 2020. Those numbers are projected to stay about the same. What happened? What, what, what was the cause? People's agendas. What people had set out. This is what my year is going to look like. And suddenly that all went out, to the wind, out the window. So now as an escape, let me just take this. Let me just do this. And so we saw it, saw it arise. Then, then comes 2021. Now be honest, guys. How many thought, man, when 2021 gets here, Things are going to be so much better. Things are back to normal. Come on, be honest. I thought that things are going to be back to normal. Man, life, I'm going to hit 2021 wide open. Going to live my life with such a veracity that, that I, it's going to be the best year ever. And then what happened? 2021 came. Come on now. 2021, we're still seeing a lot of civil unrest. Shootings have increased. Asian hate crimes on the rise. Indonesia, get this, between January 1st, 2021, up till January 19th, 2021, the country, Indonesia, saw and experienced no less than 154 natural disasters. 18 days. 
They saw two earthquakes, 105 instances of flooding, 28 landslides, uh, 15 tornadoes, three tidal waves, and volcanic activity. Yeah. Well, here in the good old U.S. of A., we didn't experience 154 natural disasters. But from January 1st, 19, or 2021, up to now, we have experienced 178 mass shootings. I, I, I was like, there's no way this is real. And it's mass, they define a mass shooting as four people or more being shot. Not killed, but at least four more people being shot on the same scene. 170. That's an average of 10 per week. What's happening? Our agendas, man, got thrown out the window. Our agendas got buried. That's 206 people were killed this year by mass shooting, 693 injured. That's sad, guys. Then we also saw the COVID vaccine come on the market, and it came on the market in record time, which brought even more controversy. Come on. You had to, and let me just, listen, if this offends someone, it offends you. Uh, because I saw, I've seen this, Christians come on the scene saying stupid and ridiculous things like, if you get the, if you get the COVID vaccine, it's the equivalent of getting the mark of the beast. That is stupidity at its finest. And if you're offended by that, just ask God to help you not be stupid. Because that's just stupidity. It's like saying, hey, if you, get the, if you got the polio vaccine back in the day, that was the, you got the mark of the beast. I mean, it's just crazy. Because, and we got all these controversies, and we see people, anybody with a voice is now trying to make their agenda known. And, and we've got a group of people, and don't exclude ourselves, that now don't care if it's truth. If it lines up to what they think, well, it might as well be truth. And we can't distinguish lies from truth. Come on. Anybody wish there was a way to cut through all the noise, all the junk, all the scubula? For those that have ever heard me talk, you know that's the Greek word for another S word. Literally, Paul said it. Get mad at him. But anybody wish there was a proven life hack that could bring clarity that could bring renewed confidence and renewed hope in this world we're living in. Come on, anybody else wish that? The good news is there is. I, I believe there is, and that's what this series is all about. Jesus called it this, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, uh, back when, and that's when God began to stir, stir in me, this thing, Kelly, man, people, too many people are living with this subpar level of the life I had for them. They're not walking in the, really, in, in the authority that I meant for them to walk in. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. If you can help me out back there. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Jesus shows up and says, Hey, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And then I love the way the Passion paraphrases this. Because it says it like this. At last, the fulfillment of the age has come. It is time for God's kingdom to be experienced in its fullness. I love that. 
It's time for God, the kingdom of God, to be experienced in its fullness. Turn your lives back to God. Put your trust in the hope-filled uh, gospel. It's time. It's time. Listen, watch Bar Church, Community Church. Please answer either out loud by raising your hand. Anybody else in here besides me ready and longing to experience the kingdom of God in its fullness? And in its fullness. I, that's what I want. I don't come. I, I'm tired of showing up on Sunday mornings just to give me something else to do on Sundays. I've got other things I could be doing. Sleeping in for one. Come on. Going to the golf course and cussing and chasing down balls. Come on. Thank you. One honest man in here. I could be lying about how big a fish I caught. I don't want to have church just to have church. I want to experience the fullness of God's kingdom. Not just on Sunday mornings. But when I walk out these doors from Sunday to Sunday, I want the kingdom of God going with me wherever I go. I'm telling you guys, I believe it's important we understand the kingdom of God and the concept that Jesus talks about. I believe it's important. In the, in the four gospels alone, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the kingdom of God or that phrase gets used at least 126 times. In the book of Matthew, it gets used over 50. I believe God's wanting us to see what is the kingdom of God really about. What's it all about? See, when we hear the word kingdom, we usually think uh, of a place or a region. But get this, the Hebrew and Greek word for kingdom refers to action or an activity. It's an action, man. Get in action. Get, get, do something. And, and uh, for, let me give you an example. What is the last syllable of kingdom? Come on, this is an easy one. Dumb. Dumb. King. Dumb. King. Dumb. That refers to activity. It, it refers like, for instance, freedom. It, it's the state or condition of someone free. You've got boredom. It's the state or condition of someone that is bored. Nobody here today. Um, Y'all are a tough one today. But are you following me? It's the same with kingdom. It is the state or condition of someone living under the rule and the reign of a king. And let me tell you, you are living under the rule and reign of a king. It's just who you decide is your king. Are you hearing me? Man, let's keep, let's keep going. I've got a lot to say. Here's the, de the definition we're using for the kingdom of God for this series. The kingdom of God, what it looks like to live life in the presence of God, in the power of God, and under the authority of God. What it looks like to live life in the presence of God, in the power of God, and under the authority of God. That's what we're talking about. Uh, N.T. Wright says this, the kingdom of God is what things would look like if God were running the show. Another guy described it like this. The kingdom of God is where what God says goes, goes. And what God wants done, gets done. Here, here's the truth. Every miracle from turning the water into wine, from cleansing the leper, from healing the woman with the issue of blood, from opening up blind eyes or ears, from raising the dead, every miracle Jesus performed, he was saying and making this declaration. Hey, the kingdom of God is here. 
Here it is. I'm demonstrating it for you. The lame are walking again. The blind are seeing again. The deaf are hearing. We're raising people up. That's the kingdom of God. And here's what he was saying this. This is what life could look like under my reign. Under my reign. Look what Jesus says in Luke eleven twenty. Help me out there, Brianna. If I'm casting out demons by the power of God. Let me ask you, was Jesus casting out demons by the power of God? So he said, hey, if I'm doing this, then you need to understand the kingdom of God has arrived among you. It's happening. The kingdom of God is right here, and you don't even recognize it. You don't even see it. Ho, 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 hold up, PK. Ho. If what you're saying is true, that the kingdom of God is here, that the uh, living a life in the presence of God under his authority, if what God says goes, if the kingdom of God is here, then why is our world so jacked up? Come on, let's be honest. I know it's church, but be honest. How many of you ever asked that question? If God's in control, why are things so jacked up? Why are things so messed up? I mean, why is COVID still causing chaos? Why is our world rotting? Why is racism still a reality? Why have there been 178 shootings in the U.S.? Why are people homeless? Why are people struggling with cancer and other diseases? And let's make it even more personal. If, if the kingdom of God is here, then why can't I quit this addiction? Why am I still struggling to put food on the table? Why am I still struggling with this sin or this temptation? Why am I still struggling with losing control of my temper? Why am I still struggling with depression and anxiety? Come on, be honest. Anybody ask that question? God, if it, why is this happening? Absolutely. Here's the short answer. We're living somewhere between the now and the not yet what I call the not now and not yet effect. And to explain that, uh, I'm a movie guy. Most of y'all know that. I, I love movies. And, and so I'm, I want to use a movie to explain it. Pull up that, that, that picture. Anybody see this movie, Saving Private Ryan? I've said this in the past, and I don't care how much flack I get, I get for it. I think every young person needs to sit down and watch this movie and see what our freedom really cost us. It was not free. And it is graphic. I remember going to this movie with my papa Fuller who fought in World War II. And I remember sitting there with him, and at the end of the movie, he didn't budge. Just sit there in silence. Just at the reality of what just, just happened. Steven Spielberg we're talking about this movie. If you've seen the movie, you know that opening scene is hard to watch. I mean, it's tough. It's tough to watch. Steven Spielberg said, I wanted to portray the horror and the heroism of D-Day, June 6, 1944. I wanted to let people see how bad it was, but the heroes that rose among them. See, during that invasion, man, an unbelievable price was paid just to gain a small piece of land. Just a small a beachfront footage. A price was paid there on Omaha Beach in Normandy. And get this, at the end of D-Day, at the end of that day, in one sense, nothing had really changed. I mean, the vast majority of the continent of Europe was still under the power of Hitler. 
At the end of D-Day, evil still reigned over the continent. But historians agree and say this, that D-Day was the turning point for World War II. Just one little plot of ground. I'm talking 50 miles on this obscure beach shore that nobody else would notice. But get this, that small ground was enough to start the end of Hitler's reign. And though it didn't look like it at the end of D-Day, everything had changed in that war. Because now, because of Normandy, there was now a crack in the armor. A little bit of ground had been taken. Uh, and, and here's the thing. Each day, with that crack every day, they kept advancing. It would get larger. And it would get larger. And the land they took would get more and more. Here's the truth. There was still a lot of fighting left to do. There was still a lot of suffering that was being experienced. Still a lot of dying that would take place. In fact, the next 11 months during this war would go down as one of the bloodiest periods of the war period. Because the enemy had been wounded, but he wasn't about to go away. But from that day, June 6, 1944, D-Day, it was just a matter of time until V-E Day would happen victory in Europe Day, May 8th, 1945. And that's when the U.S., Great Britain, and the other allied countries would put their flags and their banners and they would celebrate the defeat of Hitler and his Nazi regime. Fine, I need you to stay with me. The war was essentially won on D-Day. But the battle continued to rage for 11 more months until VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. On VE Day, Europe was liberated. Prisoners in concentration camps were set free. Soldiers got to return home and be reunited with their families. Hitler, the arch enemy of people and nations, killed himself in a bunker. The war was over and the enemy had been completely defeated. Listen, D-Day was the inauguration of it, the start of it. But VE Day was the consummation of what happened, of bringing it all together. And both of those days were critical. The start of it and the finishing of it. Kelly, a man, thanks for the history lesson, but what's that got to do with me and this thing? T turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 1. I want to say something. So God created human beings in what? And in the what? He created them male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, govern it, reign. Bring up that next passage, please. Fill the earth, govern it, reign over the fish in the sea. Say that again. Fill the earth, govern it, and what? Reign over the fish of the sea, birds of the sky, all the animals. Fill the earth, govern it, and reign over it. The NIV says rule over it. The message says take charge. The ESV says dominion. Here's the point. The first time you see the word rule or reign, it shows up right here in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis opens up God reigning, God ruling over his kingdom, and then Genesis 1 says God created man and woman in his image. This is the first, guys, this, this is the first um, merging of heaven and earth. You've got God. He comes down. He creates man from the dust of the ground, from mud, whatever. And then he breathes his life 
into him. I mean, that, that's the first merging of heaven and earth. And, and then God says, hey, reign. I created you to reign and have dominion and have authority over all the earth. That was humans, man's first assignment. God placed them in the perfect environment, gave them assignments, said govern, rule, and reign. And get this, the, the word rule and reign, depending on what translation you're using, is a verb referring to a royal task, something kings did, people with authority did. According to Psalms 8, look at this. The psalmist, the psalmist is talking about humans, about us. He says this, Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. Here we go. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. The very first assignment, for Adam and Eve was to rule and reign over God's kingdom, right? That's their first assignment. Short story. Let's give you the ver short version. They screwed that all up. I mean, they messed it up. They believe a lie. They believe the enemy. They disobey God. They bring sin into the world. Their pride, their rebellion, their agenda forfeited their original assignment God gave them. Stay with me, guys. We're going somewhere with this. And in case you say, well, if Adam and Eve hadn't messed it up, man, we wouldn't be doing this today, really. How many times have you blown it? How many times has your pride, your arrogance, your stupidity, your own agenda caused you to do something you knew God didn't want you to do? So it's hard for me to think for a second that if, listen, I'm glad God, that Adam and Eve did it. Because if it got down to me, you would be reading about Kelly screwing it up for everybody. <laughs> Come on, now be real. And their sin caused them separation between them and God. Sin in the world. And that void was now filled by evil. In fact, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says this, that Satan became the God of this present world. Satan. And here's why I said that. Adam and Eve were created to rule and reign over God's kingdom. So were you and I. To be co-rulers with God. But we forfeited it as well. And now this world we live in is under Satan's influence. And that is why the world that you and I live in is so broken and so jacked up. Because it's the world we live in is under Satan's influence. That's why there's cancer. Come on. That's why there's been 178 mass shootings. That's why there's still racism. That's why there's divorce. That's why our young people more than ever are having an identity crisis with who they are, what sex they are, where they're going. Come on, can we get real? Because of the influence in this world. That's why there's a sex trade industry that's going out of this, I mean, just exploding. That's why the porn industry rakes in not millions of dollars a year, billions of dollars a year. Come on. Adam and Eve messed it up and we messed it up. But my two favorite words, but God. God refused to give up on us. He refused to give up on his creation. And he sent his one and only son, Jesus. And if you're taking notes, you need to understand this. Everything Adam got wrong... Jesus got right. 
Everything Adam got wrong, Jesus got right. Jesus comes up on the scene announcing the kingdom of God is here. The life that God has always wanted for you, life in his presence, life under the rule, the reign, the authority of God is now possible through me. Just watch what I'm getting ready to do, guys. And he steps in. And Jesus begins to live a life. We can never live a perfect, sinless life. He then died a death that we all deserve. He, on the cross, he took upon himself all the brokenness, all the pain, all the suffering that our sin, our sin created. Not his. Our sin created. And he died in our place. Then three days later, he shows that death, hey, you don't have a hold on me. You can't conquer me. I'm the real deal. In fact, look what John said about Jesus in Revelation 1.17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. Verse 18, I'm the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Here's, here's what Jesus was saying. Listen, you forfeited the rule and reign when you, when you sinned, when you went off on your own agenda. But now I have taken it all back. I've got the keys right here. I'm the authority. God's kingdom is here. It's here. I love uh, in his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis describes it like this. He says, enemy occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise. And he's calling all us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. And get this. When you go to church, you are really listening in to the secret wireless from our friends. That is why the enemy is so anxious to prevent us from going to church. When you go to church, depending on where you go, hopefully here, the pastor is giving you assignments for living this kingdom life out. And we are to take that and run with it. See, everything that Adam got wrong, Jesus got right. And because of Jesus, sin, death, lost its power, lost its grip, lost its hold. Because of Jesus, death was swallowed up by life. And our king, over the kingdom that we're saying we live in, he is calling us to take part in bringing the culture of heaven to earth. Listen, as bad as the past 18 months have been, those 18 months don't get the final say in this story. doesn't get the final say. We've saw deaths. We've saw riots. We've saw, that doesn't get the final say. Those things are not going to detour my faith. Come on, are you hearing me? So how do we live in, Kelly, in this now and not yet effect? Here's how. Remember how the story ends. Keep that in your mind. Remember how the story ends because we get so caught up in what's going on in our lives right now. We see, we settle in, we hunker down, hoping things will maybe just pass over, eventually get better. And during the process of us hunkering down and just praying and hoping for the best, we drift from God. We drift from community. We drift from his purpose for our life. And we just drift. But why? Because we can only focus on what we see in front of us. And what we see in front of us is not good. 
Here's what Paul said to the church. Church in Corinth had started buying into some of the rhetoric that the world was giving. And I, you know, I, my personal opinion, I think that that's what's happened with a lot of Christians. They've bought into a lot of the rhetoric that the world has thrown out there and began to believe anything and everything. And Paul is addressing this same issue in 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Look what he says. Come back to your right senses. Man, if that's not a word for right now, I don't know what it is. Come back to your right sentence and wake up to what is right. Ignorance of God is a luxury you cannot afford in times like this. Dude, that's a prophetic word for right now. Wake up. Wake up. Come back to your senses. Quit believing all the rhetoric. Quit buying into all the conspiracy theories. Quit binding all the junk. Wake up to your purpose again because ignorance of God, you can't afford that right now. Not a time. He says, wake up. Okay. So we got to remember how it all ends. I'm trying to hurry and wrap this up. One of the reasons goes, man, I'm so stinking hungry. I didn't eat anything. And the kingdom of God is getting hungry. Uh, <laughs> the temple. The temple. Seriously, revelations. Can I show you how the story ends? You want to see how the story ends? What we need to keep our eyes focused on? Revelations 20, 20, or 22, uh, verses 1 through 5. The angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, I, man, see, I, I just read this where I'm at in Max County, Tennessee. It flowed down the center of Main Street. Oh, man, I'm looking forward to when the river of God begins to flow down the center of Main Street, Decatur. Main Street, Spring City. Main Street, Sweetwater. Main Street, Dayton. Main Street, Rockwood. Main Street, Athens. And the river of God just begins to flow. And as it flows, it picks up steam. Come on now. Um, maybe that's just me. I'm excited about it. But it gets better. On each side of that river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with, with a fresh crop each month. Look at this. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer would there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. His servants will worship Him. And they will see His face. And His name will be written on their foreheads. In verse 5, there will be no night there. No need for lamps or sun. For the Lord God will shine on them. And here we go. And they will what? Rain forever and ever. That's how it ends. That's how it ends. Right now we're living in the now and, and, and the not yet. And in the now and not yet, things happen that we don't like. Things happen that we can't, we can't explain. D-Day, listen, D-Day has already happened at the cross and at the resurrection. But V-E-Day, which stood for victory over in Europe? No. V-E-Day, victory for everyone day, it's on its way. It's on its way. You see what those soldiers, what those soldiers understood, they took one section of a beach. But then every time they continued to march, they took another piece of ground. 
And let me hear me out. When we as a church, every time you and I share the good news, share the testimony about what Jesus has done for us, we're taking another piece of ground. Come on, come on, guys. Every time you participate in communion and you remember what Jesus did for you on the cross, you're taking another piece of ground. Every time you and I, we resist temptation or sin, we're taking another piece of ground. Every time we speak the name of Jesus over problems, over situations, over sicknesses, over pain, every time we gather together on a Sunday morning and Wednesday and worship together, every time we honor Him in our tithe and our giving, every time we we stand in faith against the force of darkness and declare Jesus is Lord, we're taking back ground. Yes. D-Day. D-Day has already occurred. But right now, they're still going to be fighting. They're still going to be suffering. And we've got to, we got to get in our minds. You know what? I'm going to still keep taking ground. I'm still going to worship. I'm still going to serve. I'm still going to stand where God told me to. We are, for anybody that's warned, I've had several people thought they said, Ho dealer. Hope dealer. That's what we are. We're hope dealers. When I go to Walmart, I'm not there shopping. I'm a hope dealer. That's, we should be taking that everywhere we go. I mean, with every act of faith, every act of worship, every step, man, every act of prayer, we're declaring your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, every time, guys, every time, this, every time we declare one of those things, that that small opening gets bigger. Every time we do that, the chink in the enemy's armor gets bigger. Every time we do those things, the power of darkness gets pushed a little further back and the more ground we take for him. I'm telling you, there's still a lot of fighting to do. Can I be... We're going to have times we lose a battle. Man, that's just fact. How does it end? Oh, yeah. We win the war. We win the war. One of the things I love about Paul, and I am closing. In his closing words to the church in Rome, Paul writes 16 chapters in Rome. Out of those, And it's full of some great theological stuff. But out of those 16 chapters, he only mentions Satan one time. And he doesn't give me any props. Here's the way he mentions Satan. Bring that verse up. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Anybody like the way that sounds? The God of peace will soon crush Satan. Well, if you like that, let me give you the paraphrasing of that from the Passion and the God of peace will swiftly pound Satan to a pulp under your feet. Bring the and let's read again. The God of peace will swiftly pound Satan to a pulp under your feet, and the wonderful favor of our Lord Jesus will surround you. That's the that's the WWE version of it. How many are tired of seeing Satan rule and reign in areas of your family, of your social life, uh, of your mental life, and you just would love to see him get a good pounding? 
See, when he says, when Paul says, the God of peace will swiftly pound Satan to a pulp under your feet. Whose feet is he talking to? Ours. Our feet. In other words, guys, every time you need to understand, even in the darkest day, when you stand in worship, <clears throat> Satan's head gets pounded. Every time you, you, you reach out and you do what God has told you to do, bam, his head gets pounded a little more. Don't back down. Now is not the time to back down. Now is not the time to go to sleep. In fact, wake up because you cannot afford to be ignorant of what God is doing in a time like this. Under your feet. See, this side of heaven, we're going to wrestle with the tension of now and not yet. In fact, I mean, let's be real. There are going to be times that we pray for the sick and see them healed. And there are going to be times we pray for the sick and we don't see them healed. There are going to be times we pray and believe for freedom from addiction or sin. And we're going to see those people completely set free. And then we're going to pray and we're going to watch that person that struggles. But they're still fighting. But every time. See. When Mel died a few weeks ago, and I know the prayer wasn't answered the way we, we wanted to see it prayed, or we wanted it answered. But I rejoiced with Mel because I said, this is not the life God wanted for her. She, in fact, I said that when it, with her family at the grace, I said, guys, I know there's mourning to be done. But y'all also need to understand this. She is more alive than she has been in her 18 years of life. She is hooked. She's no longer hooked up to a machine. She no longer has another doctor to visit. She experienced the ultimate healing. When my dad died and my mom passed, did I enjoy them passing? No. But I knew what they were doing the moment they took their last breath. They were completely healed. So, yeah, we're going to still have, we, we've seen D, man, D, we're back. we've seen people in this church, right? Here's a witness of someone with stage four cancer. They told them to call in hospice. Man, how, how many years ago was that, Jackie? Eight years. And they said, no, there's no cancer there. We saw Mark Paradise healed of cancer. We've seen, we've seen miracles. But the truth is we've also seen people we prayed for that didn't receive their miracle. So how do we live there? Here's what I believe every time a miracle happens, every time we see a Jackie, every time we see a Mark Paradise, every time, what is your name? Carly, you're a miracle. You're a miracle. Every time we see a breakthrough, the opening gets a little larger in this world. Come on, the enemy's armor gets a little more ragged. We take a little bit more land. So just because we live in this tension of the now and the not yet, the, the, the tension that everyone has felt over the past eight month, 18 months, those things, we cannot allow them to undermine or erode our faith. I still believe, even in the toughest times, I still believe. 
Even when things don't go my way, I still believe. Even when my prayer doesn't get answered the way I, I would like to have it answered, I still believe. Why? Because when it comes down to it, it's God's agenda that matters, not mine. It's what he wants to happen, not, not mine. I have screwed my agenda up on more than one occasion. I've, made, I've fallen flat on my face on more than one occasion. So I've learned this. God, if you said this is what's best, I'm going to choose to back up and trust you with it. I'm telling you, those things that have happened, that I've seen happen, I refuse to allow them to have me turn my back or my faith from God. Instead, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to allow them to drive me deeper and closer. I'm going to allow it to cause me to press in even more, cause me to pray more, cause me to worship harder, cause me to give more, serve more, knowing that everything that I'm doing, I'm hammering away at the enemy's kingdom and at his authority in this world right now, and I'm weakening the hold he has on it, and I'm believing that we are going to experience heaven on earth. We are going to experience the kingdom of God in the here and now. I believe it. So how do we do that, PK? If I can get Bob or Bubba to come on up. Last point, we as followers of Jesus, we are here to bring heaven's culture to earth. That's why we're here. I, I told you all this a few weeks ago, but Rome, whenever Rome, ancient Rome, whenever they would come in and destroy a city, take over a city, conquer a city, here was their goal. They would send people into that city. And their whole thing was, to bring the culture of Rome. What is that buzz there, Bob? Bring the culture of Rome to that city. How would they do that? They would bring their education system in. They would bring the worship of their gods in. They would bring the way they did government in. They would bring everything in until this city they conquered looked exactly like a mini Rome. Why? So that if Caesar ever decides to visit this city, he could come in and feel right at home. They brought their culture. Paul makes this statement in Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven. The writer of Hebrews 12.28 says this, we are part of a kingdom that is unshakable. Why are they using this verbiage to these people? Because more than likely, the, the people that they're talking to were living in Roman colonies. Some of them were actual Roman citizens, and they understood the terminology and the description that Paul was giving them. How does that relate to you and I right now, 2021, when Paul, the writer of Hebrews, says, your citizenship is in heaven, you're part of an unshakable kingdom, what they were saying to the believers then, and what they're saying to us right now is this, the responsibility of every Christian is to bring the culture of heaven to earth. You're part of that kingdom. That's your citizenship. But right now you're living here. So bring that culture right here where you're at. Let me take it a step further. The responsibility of every follower of Jesus. Every follower of Jesus is to bring the culture of heaven to their home. Responsibility of every follower of Jesus is to bring the culture of heaven to their place of work, to 
their schools, their parks, their neighborhoods, their shopping stores, courthouses. Well, Kelly, I just don't want to Listen, I, I am so... How's a good way to say this? I'm tired of Christians standing by, sitting by, while the world has no problem bringing their culture upon us and telling us how we should think, telling us how we should live, telling us what we should do, while we Christians stand by the sideline, well, I don't want to offend anybody. I'm not saying, listen, there's enough Christian jerks out there as it is. There are. But I do think it's time for the Christians to step up and begin to reclaim the ground for the kingdom of God and for us to begin to live this out in our workplaces and, and quit being so, uh, man, what's it? I'm trying to think about it. Huh? Complacent, but that's not the word. The only word I'm looking for, I cannot use it right now. The sissification of Christian church. Where we just back down and don't say or do anything instead of being the kingdom people were supposed to be. Are you hearing me? God is calling us to bring the culture of heaven to earth.